Well, hello, friends. Ryan here, professional life coach, Enneagram educator, and your host for this episode of Forward Bound with the Enneagram. You know, the Enneagram is a powerful tool for building understanding, compassion, and achieving growth in our lives, grounded by nine types or ways that our personalities and egos are structured. The conversations in this podcast are designed to illuminate the Enneagram in action by hearing directly from individuals who are working with the Enneagram and their type in their lives. The views reflected in these conversations are personal, and so what one person shares may not be true for all others who identify as their particular Enneagram type, and that's okay. My encouragement, listen with compassionate curiosity. Thanks for being with us. So today we are diving into the world of Enneagram type one. This is often referred to as the perfectionist. And our guest today is my friend Luke, who identifies as an Enneagram type one. So welcome in Luke. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Appreciate it. Yeah. I'm grateful for your being here. I'm excited, honestly, to get to know you a little bit better. And I'm really grateful for your willingness to share about yourself and your experience and work with the one with our listeners. So thank you. I'd like to start just with a brief uh, sort of grounding and introduction to the Enneagram Type 1 for our listeners. And then we'll really quickly get into a conversation with you. Sound good? That's awesome. Thank you. All right. Let's take a look together at Enneagram Type 1, often referred to as the perfectionist. We start by looking at the instinctual center of intelligence for the type. This could be head, heart, or body. As a body center type, along with types 8 and 9, the Type 1 leads with this grounding, a physical embodiment that is instinctual, arising from their gut center. Individuals who lead with type 1 tend to experience and process the world primarily through their physical body and instincts. These are action-oriented individuals who are focused on achieving tangible results. Leading from the body center, type 1 exercises top-down control of their impulses, often resulting in physical rigidity or tension. The perfectionist embodies a worldview that is about making things orderly, fair, and just. A primary focus around noticing what is wrong and a drive to do things the right way. A belief system develops for Type 1 the sense that by being good, acceptance can be assured. That by personally taking action, what is wrong can be made right, and that personal worth follows as a result. Two primary driving attentions emerge for Type 1. We'll refer to those as reform and then resentment or anger. First, let's look at reform. It is this notion that the world can and should be improved. The type structure is driven by an almost constant monitoring of situations and a sorting of actions into what is right and wrong. A strong sense of personal responsibility undergirds this drive. Often the voice of the inner critic loudly and frequently calls toward perfectionism, both for self and the external world. Individuals who lead with type 1 may be drawn to activism or social justice work, often highly principled and committed to their values. And now let's look at this experience of resentment or anger. Think of this as the response to an almost never-ending preoccupation with reform. 
At times, the response may be explicit and at other times, repressed. Anger may be brought to a head through a slow-burn response at all that is wrong, perhaps at the delay of productivity as a result of being engulfed by all the details. Perhaps it is resentment at the work-first, play-later mentality that the type structure reinforces. A notion that attending to personal needs and pleasures might open the floodgates to unending impulses that will detract from what needs to be fixed. Perhaps the anger and resentment manifests at self, in acknowledgement of the ways that the pursuit of perfection has led to rejection or alienation by peers or loved ones. And now we look at what we call the virtue for the type, this highest expression of their potential. Think of it as keeping all the gifts for the type and then also uncovering or remembering a piece of truth that has been forgotten along the way. For type 1, we refer to the virtue as serenity, the state of inner peace and calm that comes from accepting the imperfections of oneself and the world. It is a quality of being that is free from judgment and self-criticism. The work here is about allowing all of the reactions and responses to people, situations, and the environment to move through the body without being inhibited by the thinking self. A reconnection to holy perfection, the truth that our fundamental and absolute existence is already perfect, that we belong and are loved and accepted simply by virtue of our being. I think it's important to add here that this is really just a, a place for us to start. Uh, Luke, I'm going to invite you into this conversation. You, others who are Enneagram type 1s, you may not identify with everything I just said. That's okay. Ultimately, what we really want to do now is honor and prioritize your experience. And so, uh, you ready to, to jump in here with me? Oh, let's do it. Awesome. Well, I think it would be great to hear as a start, Luke, uh, just what's beautiful about being a one? What are the gifts that you offer uh, to the world around you? Well, when I heard you say gifts, that I, I made sure to write that down because I had not heard perfectionism described as a gift before. <laughs> um, okay. I think, you know, being a creative person involved in, in a lot of creative output, like songwriting and singing, you know, so many times perfection can be an enemy in that arena because you're you're never going to achieve it especially in those creative worlds where results aren't as quantifiable and so yeah i i haven't heard it necessarily described as a gift before and usually in my mindset it's always been something that i'm fighting against um mm -hmm. so off the top of my head i i don't have a great answer but i think it if there was a, a highlight it would be just the driving force. I think of, and, and I'm not comparing myself to him at all, but like, you know, Kobe Bryant, for example, you see his, his mentality in basketball, like he wanted to be perfect and to be the best. And I think a lot of the times those, those high standards, you know, I'm, I'm always analyzing my, my own output and, and seeing where things can get better and, and more towards the perfect vision that, that I think I have in my head. Yeah, but I hear you honoring this notion of the driving force that's behind this striving for perfectionism. Like, you can get comfortable with the idea of that as a gift, yeah? 100%, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Anything come to mind that you might 
be willing to talk through or share through where that like driving force has really paid off and has really, you know, paid dividends in, in your world or, or those around you? Yeah. I mean, I think through the pandemic and, and before self-improvement has been in general, something that's been on the up and up. I think my want to do better personally, there's always been that drive there. And that's been whether or not I'm, I'm doing really well at, at, being creative all the time or, or up on my singing and technique and stuff. Self-improvement has always been kind of a through line and finding somewhere to latch on to be it like, okay, well, at least I exercise today or, or, you know, I went for a walk, even if it's that. And so that driving force has been, has been key in the self-improvement journey. And then through that, I've tried to reframe perfection as being perfect in just showing up. Mm. And if, if my perfectionism is, is like a checkbox, I can check that box if I've showed up because at least I did that perfectly, if not the entire thing that I showed up to do. Yeah. I love that reframing, like power of the mind to, you know, maybe, maybe we can't fight this instinctual drive toward perfectionism, but we can redefine what that looks like at least at least moment to moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. So when we think about these uh, two driving forces or these two driving attentions that I talked about reform and resentment, mm-hmm. what, what comes up for you in that space? I mean, first off, you know, I think of Marx and the definitions he gave of like kind of the two, or I don't know if he gave them, but you know, like the two Marxists, there's the reformer and the radical. Mm-hmm. And that that comes up initially, especially when you talk about like social justice and activism. I remember in high school, somewhat naively, you know, I, I had a very distinct worldview of of things are wrong and we need to fix them. And, you know, I was watching The Daily Show. I was watching Colbert Report, all that stuff. And they give you a lot of things that that need fixing in the world. And, and so I latched onto that pretty quickly and since have come to kind of relax that intense reformer worldview. And so in that sense, I, I totally relate to, to reforming in terms of the resentment. I, I related a lot to what you said about that and the, the not being satisfied and maybe less so the unfairness, but certainly the anger. I think, Mm. you know, as a kid, I was, I was three years old when my sister was born and it, that's right at the perfect age where I got really used to a a three person household Mm -hmm. of just, just myself and my parents. And when she was born, that was a big shakeup in my world. Um, Mm -hmm. somebody new taking all the attention and there was, there was resentment there for sure. Mm -hmm. And especially, towards my primary caregiver, my mom. And mm-hmm. that was something in, in my early life that her and I had to work through and, and kind of come eye to eye on. And we definitely have, and, and we've come a long way and we're better for it. Um, but yeah, resentment and, and anger, that is totally a part of the perfectionism. Yeah. I'm curious, you say that there was this transition between younger Luke, which by the way, Luke's still pretty young, but, uh, <laughs> but between younger Luke and Luke today, uh, that there's been this, I don't want to editorialize you, but maybe the softening of mm-hmm. the sense of reform. And I'm curious if you can share, like, where does that come from? What do you, do you know what brought that about for you? My mom, 
she's also a life coach and and I value a lot of the insights she has on on my life and and one of them has always been Luke you're a perfectionist and this is years before I took the enneagram and and <laughs> learned that that was a type that I identify with and so that that identity has always been for a long time something I've I've had and had to come to terms with too mm-hmm. and I think after college you know going into the quote unquote, real world, having a pandemic happen and all that comes with that, coming to terms with needing to find my own opportunity, not having opportunity given to me, you know, coming face to face with my own ego in a lot of ways. I think that that is all added to this, this kind of softening. I, I definitely would say, hmm. you know, I, I love Star Wars. I don't know if you're a big Star Wars okay. guy, but Anakin Skywalker in my mind He's a huge reformer. He knows that the Jedi Council isn't doing all it should. He grew up as a slave, even in a world where the Jedi Council is a thing. And he feels a lot of things should be different. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Star Wars fans, for anybody who hasn't seen episode one, Qui-Gon Jinn, the guy who was going to teach Anakin to soften up and be less perfectionistic, dies at the end of the first movie before he can impart his wisdom. And he's somebody that I've kind of tried to emulate a little bit letting things happen and being okay in that what did you write uh the isness yeah it sounds like yeah it sounds like serenity mm-hmm. uh maybe they're on to something they might be so, luke where does so i mean what i'm hearing from you is first of all this like uh, just awareness of you know tendencies was a was a big step in like mm-hmm. starting to make some shifts which i think is powerful. But what I'm, what I think I've heard from you is maybe there are some places in your life where the softness or the loosening of the pursuit of perfectionism has given way more than others. I mean, are there still places in your life where this pursuit of perfectionism really plagues you? And if so, I'd be curious to hear like, where, where are those spaces? Yeah, definitely. You know, further along in some areas than others. One that comes to mind off the bat is like professional development in that personal as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I hold myself to a high standard. I have big dreams that I want to accomplish and I want to accomplish them in, you know, as short a time span as possible. So with that, you know, I'm kind of always comparing myself to the version of me that just crushed every single day and Mm -hmm. went on the 10 mile run, ate all the really healthy food, got eight hours of sleep, you know, I'm always comparing myself to that version mm. of the could be me. And in that comparison, there's like a lot of judgment that I'm mm-hmm. levying against myself, which I'm aware of, but it's also, it's harder or it's hard, but getting easier to step away from that judgment and mm-hmm. let things be. But it's, that's, that's a place yeah. Um, where, yeah, I'm, I'm still struggling. And so it's almost this like war with yourself more than it is necessarily a war between you and the world around you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And did that, I'm just curious, did that, I mean, you referenced this like, you know, prior Luke who did all these things. I mean, is that a, is that a real person? Was there a time when Luke did all of those things? I don't think, no, no. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I've, I've never been perfect on any given day. I think sometimes I I look back and I'm like, Oh God, you know, like I was running so much back then. That was, 
that was the version of me I need to be today. And, and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so I judged that or God, I, I was, I was so great at practicing singing every day back then, you know, and, and I'm not doing that right now. You know, what, mm-hmm. what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of combine a lot of qualities of past me from different yeah. times into yeah. this amalgam of, of what could be. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't think that was ever a reality. Yeah. And so can we sit for just a minute, like, you know, pick your, pick your poison, you know, like the, the, the experience of not measuring up to the ideal self. What is your experience of sitting with that? I mean, it's funny you mentioned gut, uh, in the intro, I feel it kind of in, in the gut, you know, Mm -hmm. always Mm -hmm. felt that I have a really strong kind of intuition and, you know, knowing what, what moves to make kind of in life, I would, I would just go off my gut. Yeah. Um, a, a move across the country to New York was just, hey, I feel it. I think I should do it. And so yeah. that judgment, yeah, also, also lives in that place. And when you sense this feeling of judgment in your gut, what is your natural, like, what's your natural inclination? What do you do about it? My body wants to be active, wants to do something about it. Yeah. Um, be that open up the music editing program on my computer or writing something or creating in some way. I think doing acting in a way where in the future, be it a few hours or a few days or years ahead, I can look back at that moment where I was having judgment and be like, I responded in a way that was productive and productive, I think being the key word there. Yeah. Productive. What do you think folks that are listening who, you know, they've got some sense of the one, the perfectionist, you know, maybe they, maybe there's a a friend in their life, a colleague in their life, maybe their significant other who they suspect is a one, but we all have this tendency, I think, to create caricatures out of, you know, bite-sized pieces of information or particular behaviors or even, you know, one or two patterns. I'm curious, what, what do you think folks may be misinterpreting or misunderstanding for what's going on under the hood for the one? There's an image of reality or maybe a a, a fantasized version of reality that I think perfectionists have, and that's why they want to reform. They want to reform the world into that kind of idyllic image that they see. And that when things don't get there, especially if it's like not their fault and it was, it was an outside factor that precluded that, that idyllic thing from coming true that can be really upsetting and it can be, yeah, it can, it can just kind of send you into a spiral of why the heck did this not happen and what's going on? And, Mm -hmm. you know, can snap to anger and resentment really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I have found most helpful in those moments. If people, if the people around me are able to separate from those intense emotions a little bit, Mm -hmm. let me have a moment in those intense emotions and then come to me, look at me and be like, Hey, that was, that was a little silly, wasn't it? And I could be <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that was a little silly, you know, bringing, bringing a little humor into things I think is huge. Mm-hmm. I've lived with, with a cousin of mine who was just a master at bringing humor into everyday life and making me laugh at myself and at my ridiculous expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think just that little bit of separating, yeah. taking a breath, 
but still letting letting somebody have those intense emotions and not not reacting intensely to somebody's yeah. intense emotion because that just escalates and uh, that's not good for anybody. Yeah. So, uh, Luke, I want to uh, do. I have permission to make an observation. Yeah, please. Yeah. So um, we are getting a really, we're getting a pretty centered and even and calm Luke <laughs> today, which is a beautiful thing. And, but I hear you talking about these times and experiences in your life when things didn't go right. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned like, especially those times where it was like, because of some external force that wasn't your fault and moving to a much different place than where you are like right now at this moment. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious if you'd be open to sort of going there with us for a minute. I think it would be really interesting to hear about something that went wrong. Mm. Does, Does something come up there that you'd be willing to share with us? Yeah. I mean, it's not... It's not maybe the juiciest example, but the most <laughs> the most recent one was I'm I'm currently sitting in this new apartment that I'm living yeah. in, which is great. I love it. It's awesome. But when I first moved in, I was greeted with few things not working quite the way I wanted them to. Mm-hmm. We only had one key for three people. My door still doesn't shut all the way. The bathroom door doesn't shut all the way. Um <laughs> You know, the the vents are dirty. The dishwasher has a lot of crap in it that doesn't shouldn't be in there. It's dirty. I was I was sitting on on an air mattress with my girlfriend next to me and just at my wits end, the burrito I had ordered was like I took one bite and I started sweating. It was so hot. And I was like, <laughs> I just want food. And this burrito's too hot for me. And then she kind of leaned over to me. And gave me a little hug and brushed my leg. And I was like, what? Why did you just brush my leg? And she was like, no, don't don't worry about it. No reason. And I was like, why? And she was like, there was an ant on your leg. Oh, no. And I had seen ants on my floor a little bit before. And I was just like, I was <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, oh, my God. And I just had, I had a moment. Hmm. Um. I was like, this is, I can't believe this management company did this. How could they not check this unit before leasing it to somebody? Yeah. Um, And then I left, yeah, I left this very strongly worded voice message after that. Oh, you did. So this, I mean, this is what I'm curious. Like, so in that moment, like scale of zero to 10, you know, zero is calm and serene and 10 is like full tip boogie temper tantrum. Mm. Like, where were you at that moment on this scale of zero to 10? Yeah, I think... I think as a kid, I had more temper tantrum kind of Uh things. Yeah. As I've grown, I think the scale has shifted to where, you know, zero is still calm, present, serene. Mm -hmm. Um, 10 is now a like concentrated flame instead Mm. of like, you know, burning open fire. Mm. Um, and so when I got on the phone message beeps and I start talking into the voice, the voicemail of this management company, I talked for two minutes straight and knew exactly every word I was going to say. It was Mm -hmm. like, I can't believe that I'm spending blah, 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 you know, and they were going on vacation in like two days. So I was, I was pissed, Yeah, but it was all focused and it was, I got off that phone call and my girlfriend was like, how did you just 
know what to say that whole time, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that's powerful. Thank you for sharing that, Luke. I mean, so Mm -hmm. it's not this like uncontrollable, wild burning fire. It's this really direct Mm -hmm. concept. I think your, even your word was concentrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like Mm -hmm. focused and then it burns and then it, and then what happens? You know, it burned. And I, I actually, I had to get to a rehearsal that night doing box B minor mass. And I was also kind of stressed because I didn't know a certain page that I knew he was going to test us on. And I was like, (laughs) but I went to that rehearsal and, you know, going into a different physical space, having some time on the train and then singing, which, you know, in a group is one of my favorite things to do. Mm -hmm. That just, I was okay after that, you know, I, my mind was somewhere else and my mind was on something that I loved doing. And yeah, the, the embers kind of, kind of burned out. It, I, if I was to to say what happened, it was kind of like an intense resentment that was then focused into reforming action. Maybe. What was the reforming action? Uh, ma- making the phone call. Okay. It was a somewhat resentful phone call, but you know, it was an, an, an attempt at reforming, which I think sometimes is okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, even though as, as a perfectionist, I do want to reform a lot of things. Something I, I have had to come to terms with is that I cannot be the one to fix everything and make everything the way I want it, nor should things necessarily be the way I want them because that sometimes it's just not the way things go best. Well, I, what you're talking about is serenity, I think. Mm. It's what it mm. sounds like to me. So uh, I say good work on that. Thank you. Luke, time flies, and we are about out of time for this conversation. Any final thoughts that you want to share? Anything on your mind that uh, that you want to make sure you you breathe life into before we say goodbye? Yeah, I mean, it was so interesting this past week knowing a conversation about perfectionism was was coming my way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was on my mind a lot. And this week I wrote more songs than I have in the past two months, you know, mm. only only two. But still, that's that's yeah. a lot for somebody who struggles to finish things. And one way I think I was able to do that was was first recognizing that this is a thing that I do is strive for perfection and thus don't finish things unless they're perfect. But also like, like we talked about, like reframing what perfectionism or what perfect is because I'm always going to want it. And so I can't, I can't fix that, but I can, I can reframe. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've, I've reframed one is just showing up. Can I show up perfectly? And that's just being there. Yeah. But then also how close to perfection can I get in a certain amount of time. Mm. And so if I give myself three days to make a song as perfect as I can make it in three days, then great. After those three days, it's done. I have done perfectly by spending that time. And then the the practice can be just, okay, how much better can I get in that span of time? Or can I get to that same place in a shorter amount of time? Um, nice. And yeah, I think reframing has just been been huge for me. Yeah, and part of that reframing is creating this time boundness around something so that it just so that it can't be perpetual. Like we put mm-hmm. an end date on it. I love that. Yeah, yeah. 
Nice. Well, Luke, I say thank you for who you are. Thank you for your work. Thank you for sharing yourself with us today. And um, maybe you'd be up for a for a return visit in a in a future in a future episode. Oh, anytime. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Ryan. Cool. All right. Well, be well, and we will see you again soon. See you soon. We hope you are taking away a new learning or insight today, maybe about yourself, someone in your life, or both. If so, time well spent. And if you are ready to explore this work on a more personal level, I invite you to be in touch. Visit us on the web at forwardbound.com. That's F-O-U-R-W-A-R-D-B-O-U-N-D.com. There you can learn more about our coaching and Enneagram education work and schedule yourself for a free of charge discovery call. Finally, we look forward to welcoming you back for another episode of Forward Bound with the Enneagram very soon. Again, thanks for spending this time with us. Be well.